Lucas on Life. Hello everyone, welcome to Lucas on Life. Now, let me begin by apologising for my rather nasally tones because I'm currently navigating the joys of COVID. Now, fear not, you can't catch it through the airwaves, which is quite a relief. We're continuing to think about everyday wisdom. Over the last few weeks, I've been sharing things that I so wish I had known earlier in my life. Some of them, I hope, are profound and some are just practical hints that might make our days run more smoothly. But whoever you are and wherever you are, I pray that you'll find them helpful. But before we go any further, I'd like to share a poem written by my good friend Gerard Kelly. He's a terrific writer and poet. I warmly commend his book, Humanifesto. And here, Gerard writes about the need, the call for us to be different and to walk truly in the wisdom of God. I want to be a grace gorilla, no longer a chameleon of karma. The time has come to stand out from the crowd. I want to give forgiveness a fighting chance of freeing me to live in love and live it out loud. I want to drink deep of the foolishness of wisdom instead of swallowing the wisdom of fools to find a source in the deeper minds of meaning. I want to search out the unsearchable to invoke the invisible, to choose the truths the TV hypnotists aren't screening. No camouflage, no entourage, no smoothly fitting in. I want a faith that goes further than face value and a beauty that goes deeper than my skin. I want to be untouched by my possessions instead of being possessed by what I touch to test the taste of having nothing to call mine, to hold consumption's cravings back, to be content with luck or lack, to live as well on water as on wine. I want to spend myself on those I think might need me, not spend all I think I need on myself. I want my heart to be willing to make house calls. Let those whose rope is at an end find in me a faithful friend. Let me be known as one who rebuilds broken walls. No camouflage, no entourage, no smoothly fitting in. I want a faith that goes further than face value and a beauty that goes deeper than my skin. I want to be centred outside the circle, to be chiselled from a different seam. I want to be seduced by another story and drawn into a deeper dream, to be anchored in an undiscovered ocean, to revolve around an unfamiliar sun, a boombox tuned to an alternate station, a bullet fired from a different gun. No camouflage, no entourage, no smoothly fitting in, I want a faith that goes further than face value and a beauty that goes deeper than my skin. I wish I'd known that it's okay for church to be boring sometimes. I looked around. I was the guest speaker in a large successful church and the service was hopping literally. The congregation were well into the songs and a gaggle of enthusiastic teens had rushed to the front of the auditorium to the edge of the stage and they were dancing to the high-energy music. On stage, the worship team were technically brilliant, the graphics on the huge screen behind them stunning. 
Each member of the band, there were about ten of them, looked as if they'd stepped out of a fashion magazine. Fabulous teeth that facilitated gleaming smiles. The ladies, all young and beautiful, and the chaps all appeared to be sporting six-pack abs and fruit-of-many-workouts biceps. I wondered if slightly overweight, average-looking folks were banned from the platform, but surely the ugly quota would be more than fulfilled once I got up onto the platform to preach. Everything looked great, but inwardly, something still wasn't right with me. I often feel like that in church. Everyone else seems to be totally caught up in the holy moment, and I catch myself fretting, distracted, questioning, anxious. I feel more like a refugee than a local. Perhaps you know the feeling. What's wrong? I ask myself. This church had grown from a fledgling church plant to a thriving congregation of over 2,000 people in just 10 years, and they'd planted other congregations too in that very fruitful decade. I didn't know the pastor well, but he came across as an authentic leader and brilliant communicator. So what was up with me? I wondered if I was struggling because this was the third service of the morning. I had sat through all of the songs, announcements, the spontaneous, wittier sides twice already, and perhaps this was just beginning to feel a little redundant. But no, that was not it. My home church has three Sunday morning services, which means that I get to hear myself three times over when I preach. I'm used to repetition. And then I identified the source of my vague disquiet. These were great people and the music was wonderful. And beneath the surface, they are truly committed to the gospel. The financial giving of the church shows that they really mean business and are willing to sacrifice themselves to fulfill their mission. It's all good, but it all felt just a bit too exciting. I'm not sure I could attend that church regularly because I can't be that thrilled about being a Christian that regularly. Being ecstatic about being a follower of Jesus on a weekly basis, it might just be beyond me. As that thought registered, the worship leader stepped up a gear in terms of exhortation, yelled that Jesus was awesome, and with a strong hint of rebuke in his voice, commanded the now sweaty congregation to dance more, shout louder, clap together, because Jesus was worth it. Inwardly, I groaned. Now, don't misunderstand me. Despite my vintage years, I can shout and clap and even bop around in worship with the best of them, even if my dancing does look a little uncoordinated, and people have been known to want to call for medical assistance when I break into my jerky, frenetic moves. I love to see a congregation giving their best when they praise the Lord. Sullen, spectator churches depress me. But I do worry when church has to always be exciting. When every service has to be a breakthrough, when every gathering has to result in an eye-popping, life-altering encounter with God, and when we have to be excited all the time, surely some unhealthy traits emerge. First of all, life isn't always exciting. On the contrary, I recently spoke to a young widow whose 35-year-old minister husband had just passed away following a brave five-year battle with multiple brain tumours. She's trusting God, all right, but she's far from excited. There's the danger that we can reduce faith to having excited feelings, and then when those feelings fail to appear, we wonder, 
where God has gone. And then there's the problem that looms if every service has to be awesome. Quite simply, we can end up faking it, over-egging what happens because we're desperate for a result. Surely, sometimes church can be predictable. We get together, sing our songs, pray our prayers, open the great book, ponder its meaning, affirm our faith, and then go home. No mountaintop transfiguration experience required, just God's people huddling together and reminding each other that they are the people of God and that Jesus is still alive. Surely we should make allowances for church to actually be rather boring sometimes. The early church must have had at least a few services where they weren't dancing on the tables. Some of their gatherings were punctuated by deep disagreements. And on one glorious occasion, the Apostle Paul droned on for so long that a hapless young chap fell asleep and tumbled out of a window. Okay, so they raised him up. That bit was exciting. And the slumber was explained by the lulling warmth of oil lamps burning rather than the Apostle being tedious. But it did happen nonetheless. Boredom is actually part of tenacious relationships. Not every conversation with a trusted friend will necessarily be exhilarating, and marriage isn't scintillating every day. Can't the same be true of the collective relationships that we call church? There's been a call for worship songs that more accurately reflect the different seasons of life. Historically, there's been a dearth of songs of lament that can be used to express struggle, doubt and pain. While I think such songs would be challenging to write, I mean, imagine it, Let's all stand together and sing number 47. I'm naffed off, how about you? Yet surely there should be some songs that are appropriate for when a national disaster is announced or that can express uncertainty, fear or despair. The great songbook of the Bible, the book of Psalms, contains plenty of those statements. Frequently the psalmist asks, why, how long, and even God, where have you gone? Could we not create more songs that express the full texture of life here on this broken planet. Perhaps I should start a new organization called the International Federation of Occasionally Boring and Predictable Churches. Now, I know that's silly because nobody would join, but we could at least give each other permission to truthfully say that life is not an endless hop, skip and jump, and that at times, although we're still trying to follow Jesus, we're dragging our feet somewhat as we do so. Weekly exuberance is therefore not always required. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. Continuous excitement? Well, that's not. Sunday Sermons from Anne Wilson I wish I'd known that some Christian slogans are actually outright lies. It's proudly displayed in my study, a gift from a prankster friend who knows how much some Christian cliches and slogans tend to irritate me. It's a plaque purchased from our local Christian bookshop, which declares in capital letters that I should dance to the beat of my angel's wings. The gift was prompted by a conversation we recently shared where I was frustrated because of some of the statements that we routinely make in worship songs, statements that are patently untrue. Let me rephrase that and put it a little bit more bluntly. They're lies. Years ago, I struggled to sing a particular worship song that was melodically beautiful, but just not honest. Surely, the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel God's mighty power and God's grace. Well, that's okay, I suppose. 
except that God is always around, whether I feel his mighty power or not. Sometimes I feel nothing, but that doesn't make him any the less real. I thought this Christian walk was more about faith than feelings, right? But it's the next part of the song that nudges me to much gnashing of teeth, which isn't good for my soul and not helpful for my dental arrangements either, because the song says, I can hear the brush of angels' wings, I see glory on each face. Now, it's a beautiful notion, but I can't help but roll my eyes at that notion when I look around at the average Sunday morning congregation. Can I see glory on each face? Over there is young Sue wrestling with her three small children, one of whom appears to be a reincarnation of the Gadarene demoniac in his prior-to-meeting-Jesus condition. And then there's Fred. He asked me to pray about his recurring problem with hemorrhoids last Sunday, and from the look on his face, he's having another flare-up. His painfully contorted facial features reveal discomfort about sitting on that hard wooden pew. They aren't a display of glory because he's lost in wonder, love and praise. And more seriously, there's grey-haired, utterly lovely Doris sitting in the pew behind me. She lost her husband Jim to pancreatic cancer just two months ago, and any type of music quickly reduces her to tears. She cries at toilet paper adverts on TV these days, and her face is streaked now. But it's not because she's so thrilled that Jim is with Jesus, although she's grateful beyond words for that truth. The fact that he's there means that he's not here with her, which is where she'd rather have him be. If only her Jim could have a day pass back to this side of death, just a few more hours spent holding hands together once more. I see grief, not glory on her face. Some songs create a portrait of the church that just isn't accurate, and not just because of the diverse experiences of any congregation. Yes, Scripture chronicles those times when the clouds part and the glory of God is revealed to humans, and while there was one occasion when a chap's face shone as a result, that would be Moses, the more usual human response doesn't tend to be quite so shiny. Gideon stammered and blustered because he was outright terrified. Elijah folded his arms, hunched down deeper in a dank cave, and repeated a prayer for death. Jonah ran and then whined and bleated when he got a little sunburn. Presence doesn't always create glory. But back to all of that swooshing of angelic feathers. Here's the fact. When we declare that we can hear the brush of angels' wings, are we telling the truth? Because, bluntly, we can't. Now, please understand, I'm not writing this song off, and some will argue that we're just declaring something metaphorically, poetically. But here's the nagging anxiety, not just about one song, but about the ideas that we sometimes sing. And I can't shrug that anxiety off. What about Dave back there, the 20-year-old sitting at the rear of the congregation, having put on weight recently because of the weekly consumption of alpha-generated quiche, Dave has recently given his life to Jesus, and he's really keen, but he's somewhat confused, and his enthusiasm is making his confusion more acute, because he really wants to serve Jesus, but he's very much trying to figure what living a life of faith looks and feels like, and now Dave has got a rather bewildered look on his face, and it's not glory. Something of a literalist, he thinks that everyone else 
regularly bumps into angels, or at least hears them as they zip on by. He doesn't have that experience, and he wonders if he ever will. Is there something wrong with me, he asks, even as he tries to concentrate on singing yet another song. You see, there are some Christian truisms that simply aren't true, like the bumper sticker that insensitively insists, if God seems far away, guess who's moved? In other words, when we feel deserted, abandoned, unheard in our walk of faith, which is part of the deal, read the Psalms for confirmation, this must mean that we're deliberately placing a gap between us and God. Great. Now I feel somewhat alone and guilty with it because I've moved. But sometimes God seems far away because life is tough, because our hormones are playing up, because we didn't sleep well last night, and sometimes because he has apparently moved. I know he has promised to always be with us, and he is. I said apparently. The ancients called these seasons Deus Abscondicus, the times when God seems to abscond. It appears that God will at times allow us to feel that he's not there, even though, again, he has promised that he is. There are plenty of other Christian slogans that set my teeth on edge and make my heart sink, but for now, let me just comment on one more, a slogan that often decorates Christians' refrigerators and mantelpieces. It says this, If you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. I know that the general idea behind this saying is that God is far greater than us, knows everything that is knowable, and so for us to suggest any way forward is ridiculous in the extreme. Except that Jesus, in his earthly ministry and friendship with his pals, he was and he still is open to suggestions about the miracles he performed. There were extensive negotiations held between God and Moses, prompting God to change his mind about one proposed plan to obliterate a city. And then not only that, but what kind of father would mock and jeer at the plans that his children present to him? This notion of an aloof, sniffy, don't-you-dare-get-above-your-station-you-puny-humans kind of God is not the one I find in the Bible or the one I've experienced in my Christian journey. So just because Christians say it, Christian leaders like me say things, that doesn't make it true. When we hear something we're not sure of, let's keep our Bibles open, our hearts and minds open, and continue our safari in the hunt for truth and wisdom. See you next week. Lucas on Life. 